Good evening. I'm not just saying this for Sister Mildred, but I know she likes it when I say it. This is my second Georgia Church home. Thankful to be here with you tonight. My personal life, it's been a, a very busy week. Um, and thankful for that, um, but at the same time makes you a little weary. And the devil likes to play on you when you're tired. And so uh, those of you that know me know that I like to be happy. And I like joy. Um, and I, I fight to find that. I know that that sounds weird, but um, I, I like to have joy in our lives. And I think that's what the Lord intended for us. I have a small area of Scripture in John chapter 15 that speaks to that end as to how we have God's joy abiding in us. Because it is not the happiness and frivolity of this world that we should be looking for. Because those things are temporary and they're kind of like a, a, a drug. They, they make you feel good for a little while, but then the downside of it is, is very, very bad. John chapter 15, we know that Jesus is teaching about being the true vine. But I want to just take a small portion of this. Beginning in verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. The Father loved the Son for all eternity. And so He has loved us for all eternity. I believe in once saved, always saved. Don't you? And it is because of the love of the Father given to the Son whom He has given to us. And then He says, Continue ye in My love. Now, it's not as there's a doubt that we would fall out of the grace of God and no longer be children of God, but He is talking about how we should live our lives. Notice what He says. If ye keep My commandments, ye shall abide in My love, even as I have kept my, my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now let me ask you a question. Is there any time where Jesus Christ has not been the Son of God? No. Is there any possibility that Jesus Christ will ever cease being the Son of God? No. So Jesus says, I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. So what He is talking about there is it's not living a good enough life to maintain being the Son of God. Because He is the Son of God. What He is talking about is being in that deep fellowship with His Father. And so He is saying the same thing to us. If we keep His commandments, we are going to abide in that deep an abiding fellowship of love with our Redeemer. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. John records what our Savior said is the key to a joyful life. Notice I didn't say a successful life. I didn't say a prosperous life. I didn't say a life filled with wealth or, or with uh, the riches of this world, but a life filled with joy is based upon realizing our relationship with our Savior, 
and abiding in fellowship with him. And he said, there's only one way to do it. And that is to keep his commandments. And I wish he made it more difficult than that so I would have an excuse when I'm not doing it, but he doesn't. <laughs> this is my commandment. Oh, man. He just, he just lines it out for us. That ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Do you want to have joy in your life? Then quit living for you. If you are saying that you are living unto God, but it's only for what you benefit out of it, then you're living for you. Jesus said there is a pattern to this. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. We are to be loving one another. We place one another first in all of our decisions and in taking care of one another and helping one another and looking for the good of one another first. And he says... Our joy will be full. I love that word joyful. It means full of joy. And it's a simple little thing that we are to do. We start living for our fellow man. Because people can say I'm living for God, but really not be able to put your finger on that. But when the Bible tells us that we love God by loving one another and that we serve God by serving one another, you can put a finger on that. And folks, that is the secret. <laughs> That's not really a secret. That is the key to a joyful life. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening at the close of this day. Father, we trust with a thankful heart to be in the house of the Lord once again. Thankful to be in worship of thy darling son, Jesus Christ, and our Redeemer. Thankful, O Lord, that you have brought us through another week, that you have given us another day here in your created world to praise you, to be thankful to you, and to bless your holy name. Lord, we trust that our songs that we have sung have been toward thee and for thee, but also that they would edify those that are around us, that we would spur one another on in love and in joy. Lord, now as we set apart some time to hear one of your under shepherds come and to teach us, Lord, first of all, we pray that your great name be glorified. Second of all, Lord, we pray that you bless this man to glorify your name. And Lord, we pray that you bless us to glorify your name in the things that we hear. Not just in this moment while we hear it that we just say amen. But as we leave this place, we take these things, we realize what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, and we transform our lives to be more like thy son. Lord, where we have failed to do that today or any other day, please forgive us. Help us to abide in that love. Help us to realize the warm and loving fellowship that we have and walking with thee 
even though this world is crumbling around us. Lord, bless us with thy presence. Bless us with the unction of thy Holy Spirit, O Lord, that we may feel the burning and the joy of the gospel. Bless us, O Lord. Forgive us of our many sins. Bless this meeting tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good to see you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Pray one more time that God will be magnified. When the storm passes by, after it's all over, and you have to clean up the pieces and talk to the folks. Job in the first chapter. Verse 7. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. I want to tell you before we go any farther, this is the part I don't understand. Yes, sir. There's a lot of this book I don't understand, but I especially don't understand this part. Who came to whom? God came to Satan. It wasn't Satan's idea, it was God's idea. God says, what you been doing? I've been looking for somebody somewhere in that big earth down there. Going to and fro and here and there. And have you thought about Job? God wasn't getting even with him. God was right complimentary of him. He's the best of God. He's the best of God. Have you thought about him? I don't understand that. And if I'm totally honest, and I shouldn't say this out loud, and I'm not trying to put thoughts in your head that you may have not had already, I don't much like it. God forgive me. There's something ingrained in me that doesn't like this whole idea. And somebody doesn't get along with it. Have you considered my servant Job? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan answers back. No wonder he likes you. Look how good you've been to him. Get off his side and let me have him. I can turn him. I can break him. I can make him curse you. The Lord said unto Satan, 
Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Don't touch him, but you can have anything he has. And here goes Satan with that much rope. Job had a bunch of camels. There's a messenger that comes back to him and says, they're all gone, man. I'm the only one left of all your servants and all your camels. Job had a bunch of oxen, thousands. One servant escapes and comes back to tell Job, they're all gone. I'm the only one left out of that bunch. And while he's yet speaking, another says, all your donkeys, they're gone. Not a one of them left. Thousands of them. All your sheep. While he's speaking another. All your sheep. Thousands of them. They're gone. And while he's yet speaking. Job. There was a wind came. And it blew down your oldest son's house. It was kind of bad the way it worked, Job. All seven of your sons were there. And all three of your daughters. And they're all gone. They're all gone. They're dead. When the wind passes by, what do you do? After the wind settled, but inside you there's still a good bit of storming going on. A whole lot of upheaval and confusion. Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. He mourned. He grieved. We do. That's okay. Jesus wept. Jesus was grieved in his spirit. Yet in the midst of his grief, he worshipped. That's not easy to do some days. Matter of fact, that's pretty hard to do some days. We had a tornado come through our town on December the 10th. The assessment is that 73% of the dwellings are either, either totally destroyed or damaged so significantly that they probably couldn't be lived in. A town of 2,600 people. Now sections of that town, whole blocks and strings of blocks look like a moonscape. Now that the debris has been cleaned up. Just barren dirt. Leaves you with some mixed feelings. A young man calls me. And his mother. She was gone. And he asked me to preach her funeral a couple of days after this tornado. I told him that would be an honor. Tried to comfort him a little bit. He said these words, Jeff, I'm frustrated with God. How do you answer that? What do you say to a man who says that to you? A middle-aged man, but I watched him grow up. 
His mother, I'd gone to school with her. We were in the same class in Mayberry. We vacationed together through the years, the two families. We were pretty close. What do you tell the young man? Sometimes I don't understand it. Sometimes I don't get it. Job. Rent his mantle. Tore his clothes. Shaved his head. A sign of mourning. Fell down upon the ground. But he still worshipped. And he said. Naked came I out of my mother's womb. And naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. In the second chapter, God approaches Satan. God approaches Satan the second time. Looks like you struck out there, didn't you, buddy? That didn't didn't King James. (laughs) Didn't work out the way you thought it would, did it? Ah, Satan's got his excuse. You didn't let me touch him. Let me make him hurt. God said, okay, just don't kill him. Just don't kill him. Spare his life. I believe if there was ever a man in the history of the universe that can't come that close to death without dying, I bet it was Job. I believe Satan took him right to the edge. He had boils from the bottom of his seat to the top of his head. He was in such agony that he took a potsherd, a broken piece of pottery, maybe you could think of a broken piece of glass, and scraped his skin. But he didn't curse God. He held his integrity. His wife would say to him, How long do you maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. His very wife that I believe he loved. And maybe she loved him. In the past, I've picked on her a little bit. Maybe it was mercy. I'd rather see you dead. Curse God. She's frustrated too, I'll bet you. She's a little confused with it all too. Wouldn't you be? Sometimes we get that way in the midst of the storm and sometimes we end up that way after the storm's over and we're trying to sort things out. Mm-hmm. It's tough to give answers when you don't know the answers. <laughs> and they're coming to you and you're the preacher and you're supposed to know. And you've never faced anything like this before. And I experienced some of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. But over the last three months, I've experienced the best things I've ever seen in my life. I submit to you two lessons from the book of Job. God is sovereign. God is good. And sometimes that's all we know. Job's three friends come to him. I just am overwhelmed with this passage. Chapter 2, verse 11. 
Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one of them from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. They didn't have cell phones. <laughs> I don't know how far apart these places are, but these men made a conscientious, real effort to get together to talk about Job. Yes. And the three heads come together and say, we've got to go see him. He's our friend. We've heard about him. Let's go see if we can do something for him. Those are three good friends who had come together and then headed together to help their friend Job. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, he's in a bad shape, isn't he? They don't recognize him. He's so covered with these sores and these boils and he's clawed his flesh away. What might have he looked like? And they don't know who he is. They lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven, grieving. And they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was great. Four men. Sitting together day and night for seven days. And nobody says a word. And that may have been the best seven days they spent with him. When they began to speak, they said the wrong things. They showed no compassion. They thought they had it all figured out. They were trying to explain the situation and explain God to Job and how God works. And they blew it. The Bible says they were miserable comforters. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just be there. And not try to explain God. I've spent a few of those occasions here lately. You can't explain Him. He's past our finding out. He is the sovereign God of the universe. The sovereign God of heaven and earth. What he does is right every time. When he does it, how he does it, and the way he does it. He's not the author of evil. But yet there's a lot of evil in this world that we face. And a lot of that we can't explain. Just like we can't explain God coming to Job. And when we start trying to explain it. I think we quit being comforters. Get too deep for our thinking and end up miserable comforters and miserable servants of God. When God showed up, chapter 38. Now, Job started out, he maintained his integrity, he worshiped. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked I'll die. And he praised God. But for a bunch of chapters between chapter 2 and chapter 38, we got a lot of story there that we can't cover tonight. There's times through those chapters there that Job maybe never broke, but he cracked. Mm-hmm. 
He listened to those miserable comforters blaming him. That'd make you feel good, wouldn't it? <laughs> He's hurting so bad you can't describe it, inside and outside. Don't forget those ten kids. And off and on through those several chapters, he said, God, we just need to have a talk. Yeah. If we could get together on this thing, I could tell you some things, and, and then I'd expect you to tell me some things, and I'd just... I'd, I, I, <clears throat> he doesn't say it just like this, but it's kind of like, I deserve better than this, God. Isn't that the way we sometimes feel? Mm -hmm. I don't deserve this, God. Why me? Why are you doing this to me? Are you real? Do you care? Are you up there? Is it all a fairy tale? Those questions come when you're hurting, inside or outside. We've all had those questions, perhaps. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, I, I'm glad you haven't. Go through three and a half months of a tornado ravaged town. Those questions will come up. In the middle of the night, you'll quit if you're like me. It's too big, God. I can't help people like this. I don't know how. When God showed up in chapter 38, what would you have expected out of him? What would a good God have done? Well, now, he is a good God. I'm being sarcastic. I hope you understand that. Here's what the good God did. It's not what we expect. He didn't show up and say, Job, I kind of lost it in that conversation with Satan. I didn't mean to. God didn't say that. He didn't show up and say, Job, here's how it was. Let me explain it to you. He didn't do that. As far as we know, Job never knew why it happened. Job, as far as we know, never understood that God had had a conversation with Satan, that it had been God's idea. God didn't explain anything to him. Quite honestly, it wasn't any of Job's business. It's not any of our business for God to explain why to us. He doesn't owe us that. He can be God without us giving him permission. Amen. <laughs> Well, he will be God without us giving him permission. And God shows up, and after Job is questioned why, and after Job is challenged, God, if we could just talk, I've got a few things I'd like to say to you, and, and I want to hear what you'd say if I said this. God shows up in chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. That is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Out of the same thing that killed his ten children. And I submit to you from God's word that God has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. I believe that's in Nahum. And the same God that... Some way or another, the part we can't explain the tornado that happened in chapter 1? What word do I use? If I use the wrong word, you'll accuse me of making God a sinner. If I don't use that word, I, I feel like I'm taking away the way God is God. 
So I don't know how to say it because I don't understand it. And I don't know the right words to use. And I certainly don't want to be blasphemous against God, but I don't want to dethrone Him and make Him where He's not God anymore. So I don't even know how to, how to say what happened except to read it from God's Word. Well, here comes God in another whirlwind. But this time it wasn't God that sent it or allowed it or whatever words you might let me use there. It was God that was in it. And from that whirlwind, God speaks to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this? He didn't even call him by name. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Your counsel is dark counsel. You think you see the light? You're in the dark, man. You don't understand anything you've been talking about because you don't understand me one iota. Without knowledge. Gird up now thy loins like a man. Those are fighting words. That's what, really, literally they are. When the soldier would go into battle, he would gird up his loins. You want to fight? Here I am. Gird up your loins like a man. Let's go at it. Let's have it out. Let's go around or two. You've been wanting to argue with me. You've been wanting to confront me. Here I am. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Now it's my time to ask the questions. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Were you there when I created? Did I need you then? Did you give me advice at that time? Did I ask for your counsel? <coughs> No, sir. <laughs> I added that. That's not in the Bible. Can't you? He's still a pitiful case. Yes. He's still covered with boils. Yes. He's still got a bone to pick and a little bit of beef to... But he's not in the mood anymore, don't you? <laughs> he kind of got out of the fighting mood and kind of got out of the accusing mode. Right. And he's kind of in the mood just recognize that this is God with these kind of questions. Where were you when I created? Who's laid the, who hath laid the measures thereof, the measures of the earth? If thou knowest, answer me if you know those things. Who stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? God, I don't even understand the question. <laughs> How can I answer? Sorry. Who are the morning stars? What do you tell the young man that's frustrated with God? How do you say these things to somebody and still be nice? It's not my place to quote that to somebody at that time, I don't think. I think I'd be a miserable comforter then. But it is my place to defend God and to hold Him up high at a time like that. That's a delicate balance. That's a tightrope. And I don't know how to do it. And I blew it several times, I'm sure. 
And not only was I unable to give advice to others, I was unable to counsel myself oftentimes. The morning after I stood at the doorway of our church with the roof peeled back, and I cried like a baby. And I started singing between my sobbing, there's a little old church that I love so well. And it's almost like the Spirit slapped me up the side of the head. Said, that's a building. Go check on the church. Go check on the church. Behind the church, there were dozens and dozens of duplex, brick, well-built. It was a HUD-managed apartment complex. We had a member of the church that lived about two two units over from the back of the church. I went ahead and back there and, and her duplex was caved in, a pile of bricks. And I cried again. I cried a lot. I still cry, but not as often. I had no way to move all those bricks. There were others need to check on. I turned and walked away. To finish that story, I came back a couple hours later to see if anybody was digging her out. She was standing on the brick pile. (laughs) That ain't God good. And I said, Christiana, where were you? And she said, right there. And in the midst of the bricks, there were four sheetrock walls that had a closet inside of them. And she said, I was laying right there in that closet praying. I said, I bet you were. (laughs) Now, sheetrock doesn't stop flying bricks. But God can. Hundreds of houses destroyed in that town and 17 dead. By all rights, we should have 200 plus. By everybody that made estimates. God is good. I leave that, and about the time I leave that and go check on the deacon of our, the, the treasurer of our church, and his brick home is laying flat. Or not laying flat, one end is down. He'd gotten hungry to go get a snack, and he'd gone down the hall to get a piece of pizza. And his wife got up to see what he was doing. He'd, he'd been out of the hospital two hours. And they're in the hall. Didn't know anything was going on. The TV room that he had been in, the wall fell in. The bedroom that she'd come out of, the wall fell in. They're standing in the hall. As I'm standing there hearing that story, the phone rings, my cell phone rings, and I could not understand what the man was saying. He was in hysterics. It's my mom, it's my mom. And I thought he had found her body. Turned out he was looking for her. I went and, and we looked for probably close to an hour in the rubble in her house, moving pieces, trying to find two flesh and flesh sisters live in this house, and one of them would be at the church when I'd get there. Her husband taught me how to ride a bicycle a few years ago, just a few years ago. We had shared a duplex with that family when I was a little boy. Miss Mayberry, we all know each other, we all love each other. 
We found those two sisters about 80 yards from their house. And I'm with their three sons when we find the two moms. One son fell face down on the earth screaming. One went down on his knees crying uncontrollably. One sat down on a fallen light pole and just stared into space. I was there when, when we body bagged him, helped carry him out, threw him in the back of a pickup truck. That's all you can do in a disaster. Didn't mean to be disrespectful. They weren't the only one in the truck. Remember the God is good stories? What do you do with that one? I've seen a lot of good. And I've seen death. And I've preached a lot of funerals. And I'm still preaching funerals that I wonder if they're connected. Like a suicide last week. And a heart attack or two. In a town that's still overwhelmed with grief and suffering. And how do we deal with it? And I can't explain it. The only answer that I know, God is sovereign. But that's not the only answer I know. Two lessons from the book of Job. God is sovereign. And God is good. In the last chapter of the book, God gives Job twice as many sheep, twice as many camels, twice as many oxen, twice as many asses, and seven more kids. Ten more kids. Seven sons, three daughters. Ten more kids. And you might think, well, you know, 7,000 sheep and then 14,000 and 7,000 oxen and 14,000 and But seven new kids don't replace seven old kids. Doesn't work that way, does it? I see some mamas and daddies understanding that. But we all understand that. The seven new ones would be pretty special, but the seven that are gone were two, weren't they? You know the way I got it figured? Now, I think Job knew him when he got there, like David said of his child. He can't come to me, but I can go to him. I bet when David got there, he knew who his his was. What do you think? Mm-hmm. That'll get me in a different sermon if I'm not careful. I think I can show that from scriptures, but that's not tonight's message. You know what I figure Job found up there and been with for about the last umpteen centuries? He got 20 kids now, didn't he? Twice as many. And they all live happily ever after. And that's not a fairy tale. They live in happily ever after. In God Almighty's heaven. I've seen a lot of good. I've seen a whole lot more good than I've seen bad. You might not believe that. I've seen enough good that kind of gets that bad out of my mind. 
Now I'm laying awake at night trying to sort out the good. And what do I do with it? You cannot imagine. You cannot imagine. And I don't know the exact number. The thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that have been sent to me, to our church. Out of the clear blue, four men from Manchester, Tennessee, 150 or 60 miles from us, show up in the middle of the week last week. They've got a check from their church for $5,000 and it's not a primitive Baptist church. One of these men's son works in a factory down there. A woman came in from Kentucky. They're talking about the tornadoes that hit up there and he said, well, I'd like to do something. I think my church would like to do something. And she said, I know a man you can send it to. I've heard about him. This is crazy, folks. This isn't me. There's a man in Dawson Springs. He's the pastor of a primitive Baptist church up there. His name's Jeff Winfrey. I get a phone call, and they're coming with a $5,000 check. I said, who is this lady in Hopkinsville? Well, she said she didn't know you. She just heard about you. They called her name, and I don't know her. My phone's still ringing. $17,000 from a group of superintendents in northern Kentucky, the Cincinnati area. We call that northern Kentucky. <laughs> sort of like you down here call all of us northerners up there. $17,000 comes from a group of superintendents to Dawson Springs to our church. Pickup truck came to our church. Can you give this to somebody? I just need a letter saying you did it. $12,000 from a stranger in California. I don't have any idea who the man is. It's wild and crazy, folks. I had a conversation on the way down here on the phone about building a man a house. You don't know how many thousand dollars I'm talking about. Cost a lot to build a house. Cost a lot to build a food bank to store. We built a warehouse. I, I gotta tell you that story. The morning the Sunday after the tornado hit in the middle of the night on Friday night, we worshiped on the sidewalk in front of our torn up church that at that point we thought was a goner. <coughs> the next Sunday we had obtained permission to meet in the grade school auditorium and we've been in the grade school since. We had a worship service that day, and when we had got through sitting on those bleachers in that auditorium, there was a lady got up, and she came running to me, and, and she wanted to be baptized. Let me tell you about her. She'd been coming to church a long time. She has a terrible phobia of water. She talked to me about it for a few years, and then she quit talking. She just couldn't do it. I said, why'd you come, Ann? She said, I couldn't help it. The Spirit was in that meeting that day more than I've ever sensed anywhere in my life. The week after the tornado, I felt God like I've never felt Him before. Through the week, I went by to see her at her home. I said, have you thought about the baptizing? She said, that's all I can think about. <laughs> she said, can we do it in the kiddie pool? I said, I don't think that'll do it, Ann. We can't do it in the kiddie pool. Don't y'all kick me out of being from being a primitive Baptist. We went from the school to the church, a gutted church at this point. They'd stripped everything out. The baptistry would still hold water. I said, we'll fill it up just as little as we can. 
I said, do you think, do you think if you were to sit down in the water, she doesn't take a bath, she takes a shower. I said, do you think you could sit down in water if it just came up maybe about that deep? And she said, I think I might could do that, Brother Jeff. We get in about that deep water. Now I bet folks at, at Dry Creek probably use less than that sometimes. <laughs> anyway. I get down on my knees. I put my arms around her to walk in, and she is trembling. She is shaking. I don't mean quivering. She is just super shaking. We step down in the water. I said, are you okay? I think, I think. The whole church is praying. We've talked to each other about it. We're praying for her to find strength to do this. I said, can you sit down? She said, let's try. And I've still got her. I've still got both arms around her from the side. And I said, okay, let's go down. And I dropped her down to my knees and, and, and she squatted down. I said, and this isn't going to work. You're going to have to put your feet out. I said, I got you. Just let your feet go out. And she did. This isn't exactly the way we usually do it. <laughs> but I wasn't about to turn loose of her. She's shaking like a leaf. I've got her like this on my knees. And she's facing this way. And I've got my arms around her. And I go left and she goes back. <laughs> And I can't promise you she went totally under, but I know I did. <laughs> and I had a death grip on her. And I don't know how she didn't. If, nobody told me she didn't if she didn't. Well, we got her done. Don't you know, don't you know we were rejoicing that day? Yes, sir. This dry lander for all those all that time and now she's got wet. Oh, ain't God good. superintendent of our school who came to a service there he said I need to talk to you as soon as you get a minute this afternoon on Sunday afternoon I went by and we semi loads of food had come into our town it's all stored in the, in the school he said we got to keep this food in town we talked with a couple of Walmart executives and tried to figure out what we could do to keep it in town and there were all of our factories were blown down there weren't any buildings left in town of any size at all where the wind came through and left that meeting with that man and those other two that afternoon Sunday afternoon this is the way three months has gone with me. About an hour and a half later, my phone rings. I answer the phone. It's an Amish man from Southern Illinois. We want to come to your town and build a house for a family that's lost children. Okay. I tried to get him hooked up. And got him hooked up. It took a little doings to find the number. But I got him hooked up with that. And I said, by the way, before you hang up, let me ask you something. If you can build a house, I bet you could build a warehouse, couldn't you? Of course. I told him our dilemma, we've got food in town, we need to keep in town. Can you build us a warehouse? I don't see why we couldn't. Wow. Three weeks later, after several phone calls, it ended up being, they were going to meet their board, and they knew they could give the labor, and they were willing to come, they just weren't sure if they had the money. I said, we've got the money. we got the money. Build the thing. We built it. Yesterday, we poured the foundation this place is on the edge of town because that's where the property was available at that time. Mm -hmm. We bought a piece of property two and a half blocks from the crossing. If you know small towns, you know the crossing. <laughs> the four-way stop right in the middle of town. I mean, that's the hub. <laughs> two blocks out, we bought a piece of property. 
We poured a foundation yesterday. Amish are coming in from Michigan Monday. One group, they're going to have the outside. They're going to have the roof and the walls up by Wednesday. Another group's coming in from Southern Illinois, the same group that built the warehouse for us. They're going to do the inside. By next Saturday, we ought to have a food bank to dispense the food. Highly visible, highly accessible. I left out this part of the story. Our food bank, our community food bank, made up of people, of representatives from every church, of the churches in town. Not every church, but most of the churches. We had been told a few months ago we weren't going to have our place we'd had for all these years in June. We were losing our building. <laughs> Not with the tornado. All of a sudden we got a new building. You know what we're doing? The Dawson Springs Primitive Baptist Church owns the property, owns the building. I talked to the lawyer's office on the way down here. It's all ready now. The lease is ready. I'm supposed to go over there at 3 o'clock Monday afternoon and pick up the lease. We will lease the building for $1.00 to the board of directors of our community food bank in exchange for a hold harmless agreement. <laughs> I told the lawyer, I said, we can't let this come back on the church anyway. He said, well, just keep it clean and simple. That's easy to do. You lease it to them, they'll carry the insurance, and you won't, you won't have anything to do with it. We, we, we built a building, bought the property, built a building for Dawson Springs. Now, ain't God good? Amen. I, could, I could go on. I could, I could literally, I think, go on for hours. I've seen three months of this kind of stuff just stacked on top of itself. Money pouring in, ideas pouring in, people needing help. Widow woman, 82 years old, comes to our church. She and her son, who's disabled, they both lost their, their homes. They were coming together, going to build, going to buy a home. They like $15,000. He draws less than $1,000 a month. She, she took out a $15,000 loan because that's how much they lacked of their insurance and what they had, their savings. And she said, if I die, and I will, there's no way he can make the payments on this loan. I said, have him come by the house. The Dawson Springs Primitive Baptist Church, thanks to your money, wrote a check to that widow woman for $15,000. I said, go, go pay off the note. Borrowed that money for about three days till I found out about it, and then we took care of it. <laughs> I talked to a man on the way down here, another church from another town. You know, his sister goes to that church. They had offered, we're going to split, hopefully building them a house. Build them a house. You can't imagine how much money has been poured in. God opened the windows of heaven and the hearts of his children. Yes. And it's flooded our town. Given to the Primitive Baptist Church in Dawson Springs. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Back to Joe. I'm sorry, this isn't supposed to be story hour. Please forgive me for that part. God is sovereign. God is good. What do you tell people? What do you tell Greg when he says he's frustrated with God? What do you tell those three sons? I don't understand how you feel because I've never had it happen to me. I don't know what to say to you to make you feel better. But I want to tell you somebody that understands. When you're standing there talking to somebody who's lost everything. We've had photos sent back to us from up the other side of Louisville in Indiana, 180 miles away probably. Mm -hmm. That's where people's stuff is in Dawson Springs. Yes, sir. It's blown all over the eastern United States. There's people that hadn't found their cars yet. There was debris going 30,000 feet in the air. 
according to the experts. This thing was horrible. What do you tell somebody that's lost their home, lost everything? You got a friend that's been through it before you. He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But I don't have anywhere to lay my head down at night. He understands. Maybe I don't, but he understands. Talk to him. He'll help you. What do you tell somebody that's lost a loved one? Jesus lost a loved one. His name was Lazarus. The Bible says he loved him. Now I reckon if Jesus loved somebody, they, they show enough love, don't they? That was the challenge to us. That we, we need to love as we've been loved and as the Father loved the Son. And I mean, that's, that's love of, of unexplainable magnitude. That's how much he loved Lazarus. You know what he did when Lazarus died? He groaned in his spirit and he wept. Were those crocodile tears? No. Was that some kind of show to impress folks as to how he wanted you to think he was? Or is that how he is? That's how he is and that's who he is. When he sees death, he weeps. But he knew he was going to raise him. Why'd he cry? I know he's going to raise my mama, but I cried. Now, she didn't die in the tornado. When you lose a loved one, you cry just because death is death. Yeah. It's a horrible scene to face. Yeah. If you love that person and they're gone, Jesus knows how that feels to lose a loved one. He knew it to the degree that he cried about it. He wept about it. He understands Jesus knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows how it feels to have a nail driven in your hand. He knows how it feels. And he came to a point. My God, my God. Why? He said it, didn't he? Did he know the answer? I think he knew the answer. Did he sin by saying why? He never sinned. He never came close. But he did under the circumstances. The eternally united Trinity is some way cut asunder. I don't know how to say it. That probably wasn't the right way to say it. There's never been a time in history before or since where God wasn't together. And now God's apart from God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You talk about lonely. He knows lonely like nobody else has ever known lonely. Like nobody else will ever know lonely. Your God's promised you I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But he forsook his son Jesus Christ. He knows how you feel. He knows what you feel. And I want to go a step farther. When you feel it, He feels it. We have not an high priest which is not touched with the feelings of our infirmity. 
if that sentence had been on an English paper, you got an X for that one, wouldn't you? That old double negative rule. Well, you know what a double negative does? If, if we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, then what we have is, is a high priest who can be touched. With the feeling of our infirmities. That's not so much sins as it is weaknesses. Just our human weakness. Our inability to fix a problem. Our hopeless, helpless sense that we get in times of despair. When your heart feels that, that touches his heart. He's touched. When he was here, he allowed sinners to touch him, and he's touched by sinners that feel pain, that feel grief, that hurt on their insides. When your heart aches, his does too. Isn't that awesome? I'm not glad his heart aches. But in a way, I kind of am. Because he understands, doesn't he? He understands. He knows what it is to grow weary in his journey. He knows what it is to lay awake at night when everybody else is asleep praying to God. If it be possible, and sometimes it seems like it's not, but He knows and He cares. And we can cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. We can know that He will never leave us comfortless. I will come to you. And we can know His invitation. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Sometimes He does that in the dark of the night. Just with a still small voice. Sometimes He does it with text a friend. Thank you all. At just my darkest moments, it seemed like I'd get a text. Those first few weeks were tough. Or I'd get a phone call. Or I'd get a letter. I think he was behind those just as much as he was the envelopes with the checks in them. He knows how to take care of his children. God is sovereign. I don't know why. But God is good. I know that. God bless you.